0: Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Matthew Fairburn, also of The Athletic, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Amalgamated. And from the Associated Press, John Worrell, back for another round. Uh, One of the the oldest Fs of Tim Graham and Friends of TGAF. In age or tenure? Yes. (laughs) You call them an OAF.
1: But, but I, didn't, it, yes. I didn't know which. There's another F that could be that could work too, but EGAF.
0: Yeah. We'll one of the oldest F's we can uh, we can dig <laughs> up for today. Um, John Morrow thanks for joining us. I figured it's time to me. talk about the Sabers. We have a trade deadline coming up, which is always fun. Um, we can discuss whether or not the Sabers uh, should be uh, buyers or sellers, Uh, and uh, just the state of this team. I think the last time we spoke, Ralph Kruger was still the head coach. Um, Yeah, There's been a bit of a spark. I mean, the team looks different, obviously, because uh, Don Granato uh, has made some changes, of course. You'd expect to see some some kind of life um, based off of that, and also uh, Linus Allmark coming back, maybe the most important of that um Jack Eichel still out of course um anyways what we will just opening up the floor to our guest here uh the state of the Sabres uh, wh- what's uh
1: where where is this team now and that, that that's such it's such an intriguing question because you know we Thank all you. thought what well it, but it's, it's open-ended but we all thought that you know when Kruger got fired you know it's like we're on to another coach and who the heck is this Don Granado guy? He's been a journeyman. He's been in the ECHL, the AHL. He worked with his brother for a year. And then, you know, a funny thing has kind of happened over like the last two weeks is that I've started wanting to listen to Don Granado on these Zoom calls that we get on a daily basis because he seems to have the pulse of the team. Um, and it's resonating with the team. You've got players that are repeating things that he said. Um, Curtis Lazar, for one, did that a couple of weeks, uh, the last week before he got hurt. And just before, um, in, in discussing, we're not here, Curtis Lazar said, we're not here to end the drought. This was as they, after the day after they, they, they blew that 3 nothing lead and, you know, extended the drought to 18, 18 games. We're here to, to, to continue building. And that's been Granato's message. Now it's 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 a short, we've got a short window, a short small window uh, to see what Don Granado's done. But what he's done and what he's gotten out of this team with Linus Salmar back, mind you. But what he's got out of this team, I don't know if anybody really anticipated that um, in how they're playing and how they've improved and how they've showed. You know, even Lindy Ruff. I asked Lindy before they played the Devils, I don't know when it was, um, a couple of weeks back, what's the difference? Actually, sorry, it was David Quinn, the New York Rangers coach. I asked um, what the difference he saw in the Sabres, and he said they're playing on their toes. Is that an indictment on Ralph Krueger? Probably. I mean, um, and is that, what? what's that say about Don Granato? And can Don Granato do this over a longer term period? But I think this introduces him, into, puts him into the equation of being, a bona fide coaching candidate to continue after this season.
0: All right. But how careful do we need to be? Uh, we do get a little extra excited. Uh, sometimes there's a new coach, a new message. It seems refreshing. Uh, we went through this with Ralph Kruger. We went through it with Tim Murray. We went through it. You go on down the list. Uh, we talked about it on the show last week, uh, a column that Jerry Sullivan wrote, uh, how refreshing it was uh, the way Mike Malarkey uh, addressed the media at his introductory news conference, so,
1: um, well, after Greg a, Williams, yeah, sure.
0: There is a trap, uh, yes. to avoid here. Um, I don't know if there's a question in there other than just a point to be made. That, um, all right, how about this? Uh, here's the question Who's to say that any coach would have made this difference? Because if you say it's an indictment perhaps on Ralph Kruger that the Sabres are playing on their toes, couldn't any coach? have made that i mean so maybe i mean do we want to really emphasize don granado here um and again i don't want to take away from him either because i don't know the guy and it's it's a short sample size but i think um, a small sample well, size, I get it. but uh, maybe yeah. the small sample size is reason just to be be weary and we know that this is an ownership uh that is easily impressed so do you maybe have some concern that they're going to fall in love with Don Granado and not do an honest coaching search.
1: I, I hope they don't, I hope they don't just fall in love with Don Granado. but I, and, and I'm not saying he is the man um, is the guy to take over, but there um, what strikes me is that he has, he's um, he might be the first coach that the, the Sabres have had maybe since Ted Nolan to a certain extent. Um, the second time of ten, Ted Nolan, who has a grasp of what the issues are inside the locker room. Um, I see Granado as focusing on building culture. And this is what the Sabres have needed in a coach, not an X's and O's or look look how smart I am, Kruger guy who's, who's putting square holes in a round or round, round pegs in the square holes. Or Phil good. Housley. Who really seemed to be in over his head, or Bilesma, who even his GM Tim Tim Murray said that this guy doesn't needs to get needs to stop looking at video and go into the locker room and start talking to players. Um, so those are three indictments against those guys. What Granado? What I see from Granado, and again with the caveat, it's a small window, and 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 we don't know exactly how his message. Will resonate over the course of an 82-game season, but the thing that strikes me is when he, after the three nothing, blowing the three nothing lead to Philly. The next game, they're leading four to one going into the third period, and he tells the guys, "This is yours. This is on you. Take ownership of of this. You're in the same situation. Take ownership. Build off what happened last time." I don't know if Kruger would have the even. That would be beyond, Kruger's hubris, Was that was beyond him. I don't know if Housley would have done the same thing. But I see and having done, I'm, I'm giving something away here because I'm doing a piece on Don Granado. I spoke to his brother Tony yesterday, um, and hopefully I'll have the piece done by this week. There is, Don Granado of all the Granados is the smartest Granado, according to his siblings, according to people. This guy has been. I has, thought you were lo- going to say
0: according to Don Granado.
1: No, no, according to his siblings. And he is a smart, <laughs> he's been the smartest guy in the room since he was like 15. Um, he has a reassuring way about him and an analytical way towards hockey that seems to reassure people, and he, he seems to know what the game is. Arguably. We're talking about a small sample size, but I think there is something more to Don Granado. Maybe I'm falling in love with him because he's different. He's not, he's not Ralph Kruger. But I still think that some of the th- the things that he says and the things that seem to resonate with the players are something that you cannot ignore in in going into a lengthy, exhaustive coaching search. But to bring in a retread like Boudreau or bring in Torts, who has a very short shelf life should John Tortorella become available, and he, he generally lasts two years. To do that and overlook what Don Don Granado has brought to the table, I think would be wrong, because that guy just may be under, underneath everybody's nos- noses right now.
2: John, how much, uh, if at all, do you think finances are going to play a role in the coaching search they're paying so many people not to work for them and not to say that Don Granado is going to do the job for free uh, but probably not going to cost you what a John Tortorella would cost you and simply I guess performing that exhaustive of a coaching search uh, comes with a certain amount of cost uh, real and opportunity wise so how much do you sense that that's you know weighing on the Pagula's minds at all?
1: I'm, I'm sure it is because this 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 franchise is all about bottom line, um, even when it's. Um, what, you know, I'm terrible at cliches. Even if it's the the the, save a save a dime or save whatever. Uh, it it it's, they, they spend money. No, wait, you got to finish that thought. I don't even know what it was. <laughs> it's it's uh, penny wise, it? A dollar to make a dollar. Well, something. it's you can it's, stick it's, your head up
0: a butcher's ass, but <laughs> I'd rather tell the
1: that. Tommy, it's, it's, Tommy, had
0: trouble with that one too.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a, I mean, to save, to save, to save a nickel to spend a dime or something to that effect. I'm, not, I'm not sure how that goes, but they, 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 you know, they, they, they talk about wanting to be cost efficient, and yet they tie themselves to salaries that they just agreed to. Um, they're getting, they're paying how many GMs and how many coaches and how many executives. They're hiring people, um, but I, I do think that. Costs will come into play. What worries me is that they might be on their fourth, no, wouldn't be the third consecutive. Al Kruger was a head coach. But we're talking about a first time GM and another first time head coach that could be coming in if they go to the college level, which would be interpreted as being cheap. Um, yeah, I think cost is going to be a factor. Uh, and, I, and I just, and I just, it, it does Tortorella is Tortorella the guy? For two years he is. He might kick everybody in the in the butt, but his his voice gets old after a while, and his shtick gets old. And I respect Tortorella because he's, he's very smart about the game. But I just think he's sometimes his own worst worst enemy. And I'm not sure if he and Adams are going to work together. I do think that they want to give Adams every chance to prove himself. And if that means bringing in a coach who has more experience than him, then perhaps Adams might feel um, pushed to the, pushed into the corner to some degree, which is actually what happened with Kruger because Kruger was the one who essentially convinced Adams to go after Taylor Hall, telling Adams that we're one player away. You weren't. Okay. You weren't.
2: What do you think of, you know, I, I think you make a good point about Tortorella probably being, A short-term relative fix right two three years he seems to get you know production and bursts and then kind of flame out but I'm curious about ownership's mindset on the coach of a hockey team in general they've seen Sean McDermott be the stabilizing force for their football team but that's a completely different league where your head coach can be with you for 10 plus years you hardly ever see that in hockey. There probably would be a case to be made if they've altered their mindset on hockey coaches that, hell, if John Tortorella pulls them out of a rut for two years and in the third year fails spectacularly, at least you've changed the course a little bit. Not saying Tortorella specifically, but really any coach in that way.
1: No, I, I agree. And, and, and the, the shelf life of coaches in the NHL – Um, is short the Buffalo I mean Lindy Ruff overstayed his welcome because I think he got a little bit too fat even though as much as I respected Lindy I I, I, and 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 there was extenuating circumstances with with what happened with that roster and they needed a new new way of thinking Um, but a Barry Trotz has a system he's a system guy but also can get the message across to his players and that's what's made, made him successful um, but you see, I mean, Vegas last year firing Gerard Gallant um, just in the middle of, you know, even when they were in a playoff spot, it's it, it's kind of a bizarre business in the NHL when it comes to coaching. Um, but I, I do think that culture is the most important thing that needs to be addressed with the Sabres because – this team remains fragile every off season we hear the exact same thing and no one seems to want to address it even after terry pagula after firing murray and bilesma says that you know we want communication between the players and 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 whatever and and no one ever wants to hear no one seems to listen to that or hear that and i mean when phil housley in february of his first season i asked him did you underestimate how much culture was gonna uh, was gonna be an issue with this team? Um, he started barking just like the dog here. No, he, he admitted it. He, he he admitted that he underestimated things. So X's and O's, I I I think are overrated when it comes to hockey. I think culture, especially at this juncture of the Sabers' new latest rebuild, it's it's culture. It's 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 got to be culture. It's like they need to weed out some of the players who have been here too long and have been part of a losing culture for better and for worse.
3: And can you, so you think Kevin Adams and Dan Granado could change the culture from within, from the positions they're already in?
1: I think, I, I think Kevin has an idea. The more I, I the more I hear, I think Kevin has, has an idea of what's going on inside that locker room. Um, and we'll, we'll see more when the, 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 the As much as I want Rasmus Ristolainen to be traded because he deserves to be part of a winning culture and and, and a new scenery, I think the guy that needs to be traded is Sam Reinhart. I just think he is a drag on this team. As there's just there's just something that just doesn't fit with him. Um, Why do you say that, John? After they win their first game, six to one. In such impressive, resounding fashion, Sam Reinhart was uh, was just it, 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 there was no excitement. There was no there was no hint of excitement that the Sabres has actually accomplished something, and something was off their shoulders. Maybe that's the whole next game at a time thing. But at least Brandon Montour came on next on the conference call and acknowledged that. What he said two days earlier about being embarrassed by this slump and embarrassed by blowing this 3 nothing lead, there was relief. Um, I, does Sam Reinhardt actually enjoy playing hockey is a question that I've asked myself since essentially he got here. I, I don't know if he enjoys actually playing hockey. Um, there's just something about his personality that strikes me as odd every time he speaks to the media.
3: What do you think about – the theory, or have you heard this, because I've heard it, that they can't trade Sam Reinhardt because of it would upset uh, assistant manager Jack Eichel. Assistant this, general
1: manager. It, it, it's, it, it, if, if that is the narrative, and I know that's the narrative, but if, if, if Jack Eichel has so much say about the roster and the shape of this franchise, then perhaps it's time for somebody else to take over. Because. He's a coach. I don't I think Jack Eichel just wants to play hockey. I think that's what Jack Eichel wants to do. He wants to play hockey and leave everything else to everybody else. But unfortunately he's in a position where he has he has that input he has that say he has that influence because he is the franchise player. But I think if you just let Jack Eichel play hockey and allow the the decision makers, the actual decision makers, the people who are paid to make decisions and to to to, to set lineups and uh, set the roster, let those people do what they do. Um, is it going to upset Jack Eichel in the short term, long term? Who cares? This hasn't worked. It's been 10 years. Jack Eichel's not been here for 10 years, but it has not worked and is progressively gotten worse.
0: All right. So, uh, what about Lena Solmark? Of course he's, uh, I don't know if he's the difference maker, but he certainly does make a difference having him out on the ice uh, compared to the other goalies that the Sabres have sent out there. Uh, How much do you think Terry and Kim Pagula and Kevin Adams can look at this season and rationalize, you know, we're not that far off. Uh, we got rid of Ralph. If Jack stays healthy, if Linus Olmark stays healthy, if we just have a different approach at uh, behind the bench,
1: it, it, it's something that I feel I I, I do think that this that, that this team had the capability of being far better than what it what it was. I mean, any team really can't be as bad as given the talent level of the Sabres. But talent isn't the thing. That really, I, isn't the thing that that that, that drives that, that that has driven this team. It's been just what just just the lack of cohesion. Um, I think Linus Salmark has made a case that he he has a chance or that that he's deserving of a starting job, whether it's here in Buffalo or, or wherever. But if if he stays healthy, but I do think the Sabers need to upgrade their goaltending, and that's where Uka um comes in where I think he can maybe eventually be groomed to share that role with Linus Allmark or whomever. We don't know um, what Pekka Lukkanen can do at the NHL level, but let's find out. I know there's a big push to bring in that star goalie from some other team, but I think at this point you keep Linus and see what um, uh, Pekka Lukkanen can do next year. Um, and I got to stop, stop saying Pekka Lukkanen, but, I still think that this team has a fragility to it. And the fact that you make big splashes just doesn't work. Taylor Hall wasn't the answer, but he wasn't really the problem. Um, And you could have addressed so many other things with that kind of, with with the money that they had. Maybe Dominic Cahoon would have been, not maybe, he would have been kept had they they not signed Taylor Hall. And that might've helped the bottom six or bottom or, 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 bottom three lines um, as far as depth goes. I think they have enough talent coming up um, in the system, which is something this team lacked. I also think that they have the nucleus of something in place. Should Rasmus Dahlin be allowed to develop as, as the player that he is and not being fit into a wrong system. And I think they've got something in Dylan cousins, if he stays healthy so that's something to build around, but I still think if you're gonna say that just with, if, if the team brings in a $40 million player next year in free agency is gonna save this team or, or push it over the top, I think you're just going back into the troubles that have haunted this franchise for oh so long, be it the Kyle Poso deal, Matt Molson, uh, bringing in Evander Kane, um, just bring it in signing Taylor Hall. Those things don't work. They need to re- target what the core of this team is and build around that.
0: I wonder how much the NFL money will will affect things. And it, I think it lends itself more to Matthew's question earlier right. regarding hiring a coach. Because, of course, you have salary cap restraints in the NHL. It's not as though because the broadcast deal money in the NFL, the, the Pagulas can – Spend thirty million over the NHL cap. Can't do that. But they do have more money. They do have more disposable income. Uh, that maybe uh, that might affect how they address not only the coach but all of the shortcomings that they've had throughout the front office. That I think they're they've realized uh, that they probably should have realized before they decided to get leaner um, and hire some scouts and some assistant general managers, plural and whatever else it takes to build a, uh, a front office that at least resembles the other 31 in the NHL.
1: The Sabres will be getting a little bit more money with the TV deals with Espen and the yet-to-be-announced deal, which might be either with Fox or NBC. There's going to be a side deal coming, so there will be some money coming in. But if I remember correctly, I think the Sabres were projected to lose $60 million in revenues or actually it's going to be a net loss of $60 million because of this pandemic. So you can see where, you know, where the Pagula is actually, that actually opened the Pagula's eyes into believing that, Oh, geez, that's, that's not good. And we haven't had a winner. Um, So I think, I think money will play an issue. I'm curious to see what happens with, um, with the stadium and the arena um, reconstructions, um, whatever this feasibility study finds, that's going to be shared with the governments uh, shortly. I wonder how much payout is going to have to come out of the Pagula's zone pocket too. So you're going to have to take that into account. Yes. The bills are making money. Yes. The NHL will be getting a little bit more revenue uh, into the system, but I still think that, that that money is going to be an issue involving PSE because of the cost outlays they're going to have to, they're going to have to make whether they renovate the stadium or build a new one and with the renovations that are going to be needed at that arena.
2: The Tim's question, how, I mean, how badly are NHL teams as a whole uh, doing financially? Uh, Because I know it's not just a Sabres problem, but how bad is it across the league after I know they were bracing for this pandemic uh, as much as anybody because of, not being one of those major uh, revenue sports like the NFL you know with the TV money
1: well, I mean you know um, I know the Dallas Stars owner who had his who, who's, who, whose money was tied up into the hotel and restaurant industry, I know he I mean obviously he took a huge blow, and I'm sure there are a lot of other owners around the league because there, there was no real bracing for this no one anticipated the pandemic coming until the pandemic hit and I don't think anybody realized. How long it was the effects are going to last? So I think the entire league is hurting. Um, I, I do think there's going to be a quicker turnaround. I think the money will come back, especially with the ESPN deal, which, which, which I think is important for the NHL to be on that platform. And I think ESPN has a chance to hopefully not do the same thing it did the last time it had the NHL rights deal and, and essentially ignore the NHL. But with the Olympics coming up. And the prospect of NHL players returning to Beijing, I, th- I think there there is a way where the owners will be getting money quicker than um, hopefully expected, and they need that. Um, what about Seattle's
0: but, expansion fee too? How does that help? Ooh,
1: right. Yeah, I mean that, that none of that money goes to the players, so that's an influx of a lot of money that's coming directly into the coffers of. Of the current NHL owners, so you split up. What is it? Six hundred million, I think it was, divided by thirty-one teams. That's that's all that's a that's a good chunk of change that's coming into their pockets. But I can't remember when that money was paid. You know, they may have gotten that two years ago or a year ago when the deal was completed. So I'm not exactly sure on the timing of that. But that that money does help. Um, so yeah, but still, the the NHL counts so. just under 50% of the NHL's revenue stream comes from ticket sales. So the faster they get people back in the arenas, the the better off every team is going to be.
0: John, let's talk about your other love, basketball. Hmm. And uh, the Pacific Northwest uh, stood to have representation uh, among the unbeatens last night and failed. I don't know. I'm sure you were watching the game last I, night. I did. Uh, Baylor, I saw, I saw. Baylor, uh, Baylor was not to be beaten. Now, my son and I had a discussion about this. Uh, I said, you know, who do you want to win? Do you care? And he's like, I don't really like either of these teams. Um, and I'm the same way. I, I just find Baylor's program, and I know that things have changed, both football and basketball. But just five years ago, 10 years ago, these were the dirtiest programs in the country, right? I mean, you had a kid getting murdered, uh, yep. the, the former UB recruit, uh, right, uh, Jonah? The the kid uh, who um, was uh, was the one who, who committed the murder uh, went down there. And uh, anyway, that's the basketball I don't program. Know if, I think huh? there's
3: a degree of separation there. I don't know if it was the same.
0: But no, maybe. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'll look yeah. it up while we talk here. But um, anyway, Art Briles and everything that he did with the football program to run it into the ground and people talking about death penalty for that program. And, um, so anyway, Baylor, uh, rises from the ashes, Gonzaga, the plucky, uh, the plucky mid major that has turned into a dynasty. I don't know. I, we talked about it a little bit on the last podcast. I like that story of somebody chasing and that always that carrot being out there of the unbeaten. So I wasn't busted up that, that Gonzaga lost, but I wasn't particularly thrilled that Baylor won. Uh, anywho, um, your guys' thoughts on, on the uh, college basketball season.
1: I turned to Mary Lou two minutes before my wife, two minutes before tip-off, and I said, I think Baylor's going to win this thing by a lot. Um, I wish I would have tweeted it. I wish I would have bet on it um, because that it, it for some reason I saw it coming. I just thought Baylor was um, the more rested team and seemed to be peaking at the right time. And generally, in having, having watched the NCAA tournament for quite some time, whatever, but followed it, that teams coming off tight wins like that usually struggle in the second game um, if it's a weekend series because I think UCLA may have exposed some of Gonzaga's flaws, and I think Baylor with his two point guard um, backcourt really continued to expose what – Went wrong with Gonzaga. I just don't think, though. I, I just think that Gonzaga came out flat and couldn't couldn't buy a basket. And um, it's I, I I like Spokane. I visited the city every once in a while. It's 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 in a beautiful part of Washington State that a lot of people don't know about because it's in Eastern Washington, Washington, and just a beautiful area of lakes and mountains where it's so on the opposite side of Seattle. But so I've I've always had a soft spot for Gonzaga. Um, I was hoping they'd win because it would be kind of neat to see the 31 and 0 thing. Um, But ultimately, Baylor's Baylor's reputation aside, I thought the better team won.
0: Carlton Dotson, who uh, committed the murder in 2003 of Patrick Dennehy, was a university at Buffalo recruit. He actually signed to play at UB uh, for Reggie Witherspoon, but then never – uh, showed up. He changed his mind and instead went to uh, junior college. Uh, he went to Paris Junior College and then to Baylor uh, rather than uh, rather than UB. So yeah, former UB recruit. You never know what you're getting with
3: those jucos. Yeah. What year was that? So that might, must have been before I was.
0: That was 2003. So that In the, the, the murder occurred. Uh So he probably was, you know, 2001 uh, with. Uh, with UB.
1: Um, But yeah, that That was was early. That was the early goings of Reggie's program.
0: Yes. if you've ever seen that documentary, it is uh, pretty amazing. uh, Yes. What Baylor went through and uh, the coach, uh, which is uh, escaping me at the moment, um, how much he covered things up uh, and tried to, uh, tried to orchestrate the investigation. So yeah, Baylor has been through a bit. And, uh, many, the things, you, the things you learn.
1: I didn't realize that that was a UB recruit. So that's, that's interesting. Interesting. That's coming right off, right, right on the heels of what's his name? Um, the guy that Reggie, Reggie, um, replaced Tim Cohane. Thank you, Tim Cohane you. and all kinds of
0: their NCAA, uh, investigation. That's how Reggie Witherspoon took over the program was, uh, he happened to be around and uh, was local boy, and that's exactly what was needed. He's a great coach, and they needed somebody to stabilize that program. So coming out of Sweet Home High, and then coaching at ECC, it was uh, it was a natural progression for Reggie to take over, and did a great job turning to
1: respectability. If I remember correctly, I think Reggie made his debut against was it Duke or North Carolina?
0: North Carolina, and or was it Indiana? I think to it was his North tour, Carolina. North Carolina, two of his first three games were against North Carolina and Indiana. <laughs> so. Jonah, do you remember, was that Dean Smith?
3: No, it was uh, Bill Guthridge. He needed the first or the second year. It might have been the first year without Dean Smith, but they were right. number then, two in the country. Right.
0: And then Bob Knight. So those were two of his first three games. I arrived uh, to cover that program. My first game I attended was Reggie's first win. I want to say it was over... It was one of the directional Michigans, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a baptism by fire for Reggie Witherspoon.
1: There's no South Michigan.
0: Well, we'll have to. Maybe we should start one.
1: I mean, well, I, that'd be uh, Windsor
0: online. Uh, we'll, My
1: hometown. We'll do My
0: online uh, college. We'll hook it up with uh, Rio Salado and uh, and University of Phoenix.
1: Don't forget New Hampshire, yeah, right? Southern, Southern New Hampshire, Hampshire. So, oh,
2: <laughs> not far from uh, not far from my hometown. Before it became an online uh, thing, it was a popular spot for April High graduates to to go. Southern New Hampshire was, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I you know I'm out in Missouri at college, and I see commercials popping up for it, and I'm like, what the hell? Uh, it started to become a thing, but. Yeah, it's not far from where I grew up. It's like right down the road. Dave Bliss
0: was the I, coach at yeah. Baylor when that scandal hit, and Scott Drew replaced him. I uh,
2: He's been there uh, since?
0: Yeah. Yes, he has been, and uh, Dave Bliss uh, was a coach of some repute, um, mostly at New Mexico, uh, taking the Aggies to the NCAA tournament a handful of times before that SMU, before that Oklahoma but Dave Bliss went to Baylor and uh, was fired after the 0203 3 season, in which that murder took place, and has uh, not coached uh, Division One since. But that documentary that I suggested, I will—I'll um, try to get a title for you guys. But I've seen it twice; it's really good. And uh, Bliss is just totally, totally oblivious/slash just in denial that he had any role in any of this. He's on tape talking to detectives and, and he's got his assistants that are throwing him under the bus saying he wanted us to cover up this and cover up that. And um, he's doing this interview bliss. So bold, you know, at the, on the, on the court at wherever he's coaching at the time. I don't know if it's a high school or a NAIA school or something like that. And shortly after that documentary came out, I think he was fired from that job too. So um Anyway, well, we see I guess this, you we should see- be proud of, of, of Baylor for coming back from that. But Scott Drew is building up his basketball program while the athletic department is overseeing one of the worst football scandals in college history. <laughs> so, I don't know.
1: Bryles I, actually coached – Bryles actually brought, brought Baylor up here to Buffalo. I, I covered Bryles.
0: I'm sure he remembers it.
1: Oh, I'm sure – no, it, it, that's, that's when he had that uh, can't-miss quarterback um, who apparently missed – um Eddie what,
2: Bryce Pet Bryce Petty, right?
1: That's who it was. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And I mean right.
0: yeah, we've was... uh we've uh stumbled through this conversation enough. What else do we want to talk about? <laughs> this has been I, I've knocked over my microphone. I uh your dogs bark cleared my throat right into the mic earlier in the podcast. Oh, your... I <laughs> tried a I tried some special effects by bringing in a movie clip that totally failed. Um it, this has not gone smoothly. Uh, oh, I just realized I forgot to hit the record button. Um, uh-huh.
3: Very funny. <laughs> Is that true? No, no, it's right up there. We can no, see, it. What it says, see it. I was thinking, good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're better off.
0: Right. Uh, John Morrow's trying to fit uh, square holes into, into round pegs. <laughs> Which actually
2: rattles does. off. Which actually does. In. There's just too much extra room.
1: Well, it it it, it does. I mean, it, it it's the uh, those sails in the wind in our sails, or the sails in our wind, and it's, it it's it summarizes what the Sabres have been last. Time that's
0: here. the second Mike Malarkey reference on this podcast.
1: This Although oh. he wasn't the first. Well, that's what H- Bulla was the one.
0: Yeah, Hank Hank Bulla. Bulla said it first, but I think Malarkey repeated it.
1: I'm, yes, he, no, I think it was Jerron. It might have oh, been Jerron. But you, you could, too be many right. buffoons I don't
0: know. to keep track of, including these four. Um, all right. Who what else do you like want in to the talk Masters? About? The Masters? I don't Who know
2: anything like. about it. What do you <laughs> nope. want to tell us about the it? it.
3: Jonah's, an, Jonah's an
2: expert now. He's in our pool. I'm so. in the
3: pool. I am not an expert, but I am going to have to figure out who's going to win and then predict. I won my bracket. No, wait, I didn't. Mike Rodak won the bracket, but I came in second.
2: Okay,
0: Matthew, you brought it up. You have to uh, give us an analysis.
2: Well, I have my bets are here somewhere. I put my money where my mouth is. And I've got Victor Hovland. Same four players, though. I've got Victor Hovland at 45 to one, Cam Smith at 50 to one. He's not 50 to one anymore. Matt Fitzpatrick, Webb Simpson. And then I did like Patrick Reed, Daniel Berger. And, uh, somebody else that I'm forgetting, um, I don't know. It's going to be an, it's going to be different than the fall because the fall was a much different course setup or course conditions. Uh, you know, it was a little bit softer. It's going to be back to more of a, a classic setup where it's going to play real fast, real hard. It was a little bit too easy. I don't think they're going to, you're going to see a 20 under winter like Dustin Johnson, but, um, Interesting tournament because Jordan Spieth is fresh off a win and everybody loves Jordan Spieth. He's now almost the betting favorite after being like one of the worst golfers on tour for a little while. He was playing so poorly uh, for one stretch. So a little bit of a redemption story there. Um, Got the beefcake Bryson DeChambeau on the the driving range, just acting like a lunatic. Um, So that's kind of fun. DJ defending. I don't know. I I mostly, it's a weird tournament to bet because you're not, usually I like to throw long shots in there, but you can't go too long at the masters because I think there's some trend of you basically in the last six or seven years, it's like you gotta be in the top 20 in the world coming in uh, to have much of a shot to win the tournament. So um, I don't know. It's a, it's going to be fun. I'm going to enjoy it. There's going to be hopefully a, a winner in some of these betting tickets. Maybe I'll get antsy and put a few more few more bets in by the end of the week. But um, I think it'll be, I don't know, it's, it's nice to have it back in the spring, sort of the official start of spring, it feels like around here. I heard
0: from our uh, good friend and fellow degenerate gambler, Chris Baker, last night at halftime of the basketball game. Uh, Chris Baker, uh, of course, uh, he comes to mind because of the golf uh, betting here. But just to put a bow on things, he was very, very excited at halftime to let me know that Gonzaga was a plus 160 and then quickly, in the span of a couple of minutes, went up to plus 195 and then went back down to plus 150. There was a fluctuation there, but people were going nuts and everybody wanted that sweet, sweet Gonzaga action at halftime.
2: I woke up to the same text. I it didn't did not watch, go well. I didn't watch the game, but I woke up to two uh, live updates of Gonzaga's money line, to w- which is just a tease. We can't we can't even have live uh, mobile wagering. So unless you're sitting there at the sportsbook, and there's not even seats at the sportsbook, we
0: can't have nice things downtown. I think but we need more Cuomo scandal because that's we're how we're trending we got towards getting it. To marijuana. If we have more scandal, he's going to keep throwing things out there, and I think that the mobile betting is the next uh, is the Apparently next appeasement.
2: It might sneak let's, into the let's, budget.
1: Let's, let's, let's tamp down on the scandal. it's like you know th- this is this has been horrific enough. Okay,
2: there might be uh, there might be mobile sports betting in the budget. They're talking about it, which could be uh, could be relevant to to us here as sports reporters. Um, I think that. It, it's an interesting journalism conversation to be yeah i think a, it
0: is the it's, it's a big know. part of the future of journalism is knowing uh you at least at least need to be semi-fluent in gambling
1: well what's interesting is it, on that note is, is is bali buying up a lot of the uh local fo- uh, fox sports franchises um and bally's. you know bally's bally's bali bally okay see that's how much i'm I'm familiar with the, with, with, with the sports betting industry but you know, I I think that is a sign of of where things are going to be going, and you know, some people actually imagine that they'll have the odds in a in in a sidebar, um, you know, as the game is you know as the game is progressing. I mean, that might be that's that's something that some people are actually proposing because now you've got the NHL
2: actually aligned um, with sports betting, the NFL too. I mean. There's a lot of these leagues are starting to PGA has been big in it. Cause I think, I don't know. I think that's a, that opens up a whole different demographic to golf. Uh, I think, you know, it's a big reason why I'm, I was glued to the Valero Texas open for probably 12 hours of coverage last weekend. <laughs> I mean, uh, all, for bless not, you, Matt. all for not, but I enjoy watching uh, in part to, you know, when you have a little bit of action, but also, I don't know you, it's a gateway into, into the sport. And they've really, you know, ramped up their um, involvement with it and sort of just, you know, gone all in It's at this point, it's not taboo to, to jump in on that. And, um, it's funny. We have our, our gambling expert, Joel Staniszewski, like on the line from Vegas, which is, feels like old school, you know, like we got to call out to Vegas to get the gambling skinny, which Joel's very good. Um, but it's like it, there was always somebody from Vegas. Now we're getting pretty close to, you know, a good chunk of States here. It'll be interesting because I don't think every state's going to do it. Um, no some state constitutions are sticky and, and complicated, including New York's is a little weird. And There are a lot of but, States
0: that are going to want to protect their lottery system. Uh, they view that as, you know, they don't want people betting on sports. They want you to buy their scratch offs and play their numbers and, and that type of thing. Um but it's interesting to see the transition. Uh, and I noticed it on the Sabres. Whatever Sabres game was on NBC Sports recently. Was that the Flyers Boston. game? Boston. Okay, so they were teasing the – Oh, no, they, the
1: fly, Flyers were too. It was the Flyers. You, they yeah, right. there was a doubleheader.
0: So it was the yep. national broadcasters. And they were talking about the betting. And the play-by-play guy, it's a promo. Obviously, you can see there's like a little graphic built in and the play by play guy's talking about the second game which is uh, the Vegas Golden Knights against whomever and he's telling you about the money line or whatever and then he brings in the color guy to give his thoughts and the color guy actually says am i allowed to talk about this and he wasn't joking like he was thoroughly confused because the old thing is you're not even to acknowledge gambling if you're a if you're a broadcast journalist it is frowned upon because the league's didn't want you even referencing any kind of point spread or odds or anything like that. Cause that was just super, super uh, taboo. And so, yeah, the play-by-play guy had to say, please tell us what you think. And the guy was kind of stuck. So he said, well, I guess I got to go with Vegas from a gambling standpoint. You know, it was like, ha ha, but he was thoroughly caught off guard. And um, I think that all your broadcasters and it would be smart for young journalists Uh, Print journalists to learn your your gambling uh, um, not only the jargon but just how things work. You're going to have to learn and 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 you know what, you know it really sucks. There's a lot of people out there who are anti analytics. Guess what gambling is, nothing but nothing but analytics. It is just algorithms and
2: odds, and so. Well, it becomes a yeah. sort of tricky spot too, doesn't it? When you're like, somebody's like, what do you think of the Bills against the spread this week? Well, you, giving you don't, don't need to make a pick. Here, you don't need to make a pick. Right,
0: you, but you need to be able to maybe say who the favorite is and based on, the, based on the betting, like this team is favored by this. You don't need to actually take a stand or say this is what I'm betting. What were you going to say, Jonah? You look like you have a
3: – I was going to say that you're acting like it's learning French and that some of the dumbest people I know – are fluent in this gambling language that you talk about. And I get your point that if you're gambling averse, maybe that's good. I think be it's hard. You, but I do.
0: Th- <laughs> I think, yeah, I think of you all think the people a in young your life.
3: It's like, oh, I don't know how to write in spread format.
0: Think of all the people you know in your life that you may have a conversation with. And I have to explain to them what a point spread is.
3: Yeah, I don't know yeah. that many people that don't watch sports that I would have to have that. Kind yeah,
0: of I think it's, I think you need to know what a plot. All money right. So too. even... The average like, sports fan, I think, has no idea what plus one hundred and fifty is.
1: No, and I, I or minus one
2: hundred
1: and ten. I'm I'm in that boat. I'm not even an average sports fan. I, I right. cover the so sports, so, yeah. the money line
2: aspect is definitely a little bit confusing for a lot of people. It's it sometimes becomes... you have a
0: point spread and and it's a minus one hundred and ten because they need. Well, to that's the
2: what I thought you, you meant. That's point point a little. Spread,
0: so they change the betting.
3: Second semester gambling language right. there, but. <laughs> I think most people understand the money line if they don't maybe know all the math.
2: But also like I mean, kind of knowing what those numbers are telling you is kind of an interesting, like when we did that story during the bill season, you know, from the sports book and it was kind of cool to watch the live numbers, you know, fluctuate, you know, seeing what plays did to win probabilities. Like Tim mentioned, it becomes kind of an analytics, um, you know, crossover and it does help you understand a little bit um, narratives coming in. Like we started this conversation with golf. Well, like it, it's kind of fun to watch. Like, like Jordan Spieth, you could have gotten him at like 70 to one, like, I don't know, four or five months ago when he wasn't playing very well. Now he's like 12 to one. He's like the one of the favorites to win the tournament. Um, so you can kind of if you're paying attention to it, track the. The ebbs and flows of the narratives, and it's all—that's what it's all about. Daisy knows well, data reporting. But,
1: right, but but that said, it's like I'm not sure if I would have counted on if I had known, and I, I would have the option to take that bet when Gonzaga was favored with the the what what it, it went to 1.9. You were saying it went to like
2: plus 180, I think, which is plus, pretty. Plus they were favorite plus, plus
1: 190. one. I, okay, now I, I'm assuming that that was. Everything was 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 pushing towards Gonzaga's way, um, the way the I opposite.
2: see it. It would be the opposite. Like oh, was plus, it the opposite. So like that means it's almost you almost double your money if you bet oh. Gonzaga because they're a dog, if, and that's okay, what Kinko is excited about. He's saying, look, they're they're now a dog, and they're gonna you know they're gonna win. And he no, won, they, so.
1: they were not gonna, he gonna sure win. Would've. I would never have bet uh, that. That was that. That's a sucker bet right there, isn't it?
2: but that if is using, also
1: a, is like, that if i'm using the phrase correctly
2: well i think the the big thing for with mobile gambling and chris and i have talked about this a lot over the last few weeks when we've been making trips downtown to, to get a few golf bets and is like i don't understand the lack of mobile gambling because yes there's inertia built in like i don't bet very often because i have to drive downtown to do it but and if i had it on my phone i'd you know, it'd be a lot easier to do, but you also get worse odds because Seneca's the only one in town. So they set the lines and that's it. Um, And you get, you know, that, that live money, like you don't even have a chance. Like that's, uh, you know, a, a big way to get an edge is like, Oh, Alabama came into this game as a heavy favorite and they let up an opening drive touchdown. And now it's even money. Well, right. I'm going to throw, you know, now I have way better value on Alabama. Well, you can't even really do that here unless you're standing at the sports book where there's not even any seats at the one in Buffalo. So I feel like from a competition standpoint and for, if it were about the consumers and, you know, giving the books less of an advantage, then we'd already have the mobile wagering, but there's obviously some bureaucratic jargon uh, layered into the constitution that's making it more complicated than it needs to be. And, Above, above my pay grade, I suppose, but that's an aside.
0: I had a big, uh, big point I was going to make, but my dog distracted me.
3: I bet on Baylor last night, and I won.
0: Well, did you take the points or did you take the money line?
3: I took the points. Well, against the point. yeah, no, I took the points. Yeah, you're not so smart. I I did it to hedge my bracket bet and get a middle, if gonzaga won by four or less i thought that line was a little high i didn't i thought gonzaga could win the game but shouldn't have been favored by four points
2: they were only favored by four i thought it was even more than that That's four and a half think. it might have been a four and a half i thought it was like double digits uh,
3: they were favored by double digits against ucla Oh, okay which that the money line was like plus greatest game ever, one of the greatest games i ever watched um yeah i mean UCLA is an 11 seed against Gonzaga who hadn't lost and had won by double digits every game, almost every game for the year. It seemed like, you know, I might've bet Gonzaga with a lot of points. I think it was 14 and right.
2: a half or something against
3: UCLA, which. Whew. Yeah, um, I think that's true. And UCLA was winning at halftime. So.
2: And UCLA you know, covered the spread. That they w- bet. I, I wonder if their coach gave them that pep talk in the locker room, you know, boys. Tough way to go out, but you covered the spread, so well done. I, hell, of I way, saw, hell of a way I, to finish the year.
1: I saw something on Twitter where if you had bet against the Sabers during their against the Sabers during their eighteen game skid, however much money you, you you would have just made like you would have come back with seventy thousand dollars or something like that.
2: Yeah, it was like if you put five bucks in, that's what it was to start, and then every time they won, rolled the money into the opponent's money line over and over and over again. It was it was a healthy sum of money. Uh, that was on the broadcast too, to Tim. Oh, was it really? Like they're now, That's right.
0: It was, they're they now it on the entertaining
2: broadcast. you with to which, you know, some jabroni is sitting It would never freaking, do that. Right. No, It
1: wouldn't have done that a year ago.
2: No, now especially saying, when it re-
1: reflects poorly on the team.
2: Well, sure. But it was a national broadcast. Oh, that one. Okay. Um, so it was just making oh, the, Sabres the Sabres
0: broadcast still wouldn't do it, but that's not because of an aversion to gambling. That would just be
2: too much man. Yeah.
0: Well, it would, <laughs> it would just be too negative. Well, that, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how the teams handle that because I'm sure they're good. You know, they already have their individual sponsorships, you know, Seneca gaming already does sponsor this, that. All right, let's wrap this shit up. CTBK does not pay for us to ramble on about nothing or do they
3: or so we're not getting paid this week
0: they kind of do this was i'm not proud of this episode john it's no reflection of you you had nothing to do with it you got it you got a clip
3: i that feel like i didn't bring up. it
1: today i feel i did not bring it today i feel like i let you guys down no i don't think any of us bro no, it.
3: it was good when john was talking it got sideways when john got quiet
0: yeah <laughs> you're right you should That's just surprising. put John on spotlight and and uh, let him go. Since All right, nobody's John. Thanks listening. for listening. I
3: this. just mentioned one more thing, and yeah, nobody's listening. I don't know. When we were talking about the final four. I think we should acknowledge Tara Vanderveer grew up in now Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Seminary coach Stanford national championship first since 1992. I feel like I'm reading the outro while the music is playing. All right. Well, I-
1: I, I, I'm impressed because I, I got a chance to cover her team when, when Stanford came up uh, and played UB. So I, they played like an 11 o'clock in the morning game. And um, it was great to be able to cover, you know, good women's basketball, which I don't get a chance to unless UB is, is doing well. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy for her.
0: She does deserve more local run. Of course, she is out there on the West Coast. Uh, and she does get her mentions on the eleven o'clock news, and you know the blurbs in the in the Buffalo News. But uh, she is uh, she's a local girl and uh, has done very well. Um, a her great at, now, now, go ahead, John. She summers at
1: she summers at the Chautauqua Institution um, every year. Family yeah, from that, Niagara
0: yes. Falls, or at least they settled there. Well, they lived,
3: Yeah, they're from Albany area and they came to Niagara Falls. And there was no team in, that she could play for in Niagara Falls. So that's why she had to go to Buffalo Seminary to play on that team. And her coaching started, I think, with Niagara Falls JV or something like that. Because by the, a few years later, they did have a team. And that's where her career blossomed from there. Went to Indiana for a while.
0: Yeah, the all-time winningest basketball coach in women's history yep. and has just won uh, the national championship with Stanford and uh, hall of famer. And uh, she is from Western New York and doesn't get mentioned enough. Yeah. When she did, uh, when she did get the record for most wins by a, a women's coach, I don't think it was mentioned locally anywhere. Because I remember looking for it. And well, I've I could... seen
3: it. The Niagara Gazette did some stories, and I know that. I mean, the night she did, the night she broke the records, it doesn't get like that Twitter following from the fans. I feel like the media does make the mentions, and then people never really seem to. I shouldn't say never, but you don't see the groundswell of "Wow, we're so proud of this Western New Yorker." Even last night, I saw a few people tweeting—or not last night, but Sunday night. Hey, by the way, did you know? Stanford's coached by this Western New Yorker and people that I thought would know were like, wow,
0: I didn't know that. Right. right. Well, but right. That's right.
3: I think there's,
1: in, in part there's an undue uh, and for, for good reason, but there's an undue big influence by UConn when it comes to people talking about women's college basketball, that UConn gets all the highlights and people um, because they've been so so good for so long, I, I think that Stanford and other teams can, kind of get lost in, in in UConn's wake because people just can't grasp the full attention of women's basketball, um, or don't don't have time, or don't care for it. I think that's true. Even when
0: Pat Summit was coaching at Tennessee, it still seemed to be really unbalanced towards UConn, and of course, some of that has to do with ESPN being so close to UConn. They used to cover their games like crazy, uh, and really. Uh, when they were trying to and doing a very good job and in a righteous way, um, making it a point to cover women's college basketball, that UConn was so close to ESPN headquarters in Bristol, Connecticut, it it really it really uh, changed the gravitational pull. And um, yeah, I'll be honest, I did would not have watched uh, any of the tournament except I was flipping through the channels and, uh, the night that. Um, Uh, that UConn got beat and they were down 10, whatever it was. And I tuned in to see if, if UConn was going to lose. And I probably would have kept going if it weren't that way.
3: They're like the Yankees in that way. Some people like watching them lose more than the fans like watching them win. They did have the best player in the country and the most charismatic women's player I've seen in a while. So I, I don't think UConn doesn't deserve at least this year's team, the credit and the, attention that it gets, a charismatic coach. I I mean, I like watching UConn women's basketball probably, or I find myself watching UConn women's basketball more than any of the other teams combined. I don't do that consciously, but they're just, they're always the team to watch or have one of the players to watch.
2: It does seem like the women's tournament got more attention. It seems to increasingly be getting more and more attention each year. I, I hear anecdotally of more people doing, women's bracket, bracket pools, in addition to men's bracket pools. And, um, you know, this tournament being particularly exciting towards the end with UConn getting upset and, you know, some good uh, games on the way to the final. um, It does seem like, you know, it's one of those, those arguments of like, perhaps if there was, you know, as there's increasingly more coverage of it, there's more interest. Um, You know, it was always the excuse of, oh, we don't cover it because nobody's interested, but you never really know until, until you actually cover it and, and devote some time and some some resources to it, and that's why UConn's so intriguing because they you know always had the coverage, but as we see a little bit more, it seems to be uh, seems to be getting a little bit more of a, a pull, which is a good thing. Overdue,
0: guys. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for enduring this one hour. Uh, how we made it an hour, I'm not sure. Uh, when it comes time for me to type up the recap for this, I have no idea what I'm going to put in it. Things were said. Right. <laughs> A good time was had by by none.
2: You sell it as winning masters bets. <laughs> right. And they're buried in there somewhere. Right. I dare you to go seconds. find now. Go find them. <laughs> square holes and round pegs.
0: Yes. Oh, so much. So so many so many gems were spun. <laughs> John, think round
3: peg and our square holes.
0: All right, guys. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Uh, And uh, we'll be back hopefully in a couple days. Hey, that's the one good thing about Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. There's always another one right around the corner. We have a chance to redeem ourselves. Thanks for listening. Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond.